Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Good morning, Hill City. My name is Brad. I'm a lead teaching pastor here at Hill City. It's an honor to serve this church. Listen, I just want to talk to this group. I'm going to talk to you every week. I prom- I will get more beanbags. You guys keep coming. Do you want more beanbags? Do you want more seats? Okay, you're sitting on the hard floor, and it's fantastic, but I couldn't imagine it. So you guys are going to keep coming. We're going to go buy more beanbags for you guys, okay? I know that it's family weekend here at Missouri State, and there are a ton of parents uh, here with their college students, maybe grandparents. I just want to speak to you just for a minute before we get into God's Word. We love your kids we love your college students and we love you and we want you to know that man we are we just welcome them here and we are going to give them as much truth as we can possibly give them in the amount of time that god gives us with them Um, but man we're glad you're here with them today we have been in the book of genesis Uh, this is our sixth week and we will open up today in god's word at the end of chapter two starting in verse 25 And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And this is God's word. You may grab a seat. Oh, so what is wrong with the world? What is wrong with the world today? We know something is wrong. We know that because in 2022, there were 26,000 homicides in the United States. In 2022, there were 689,000 divorces, over 10 million domestic violence cases in the United States last year, 110,000 drug overdoses. We lie to each other we cheat each other we steal from each other what is wrong with the world today our problem is indeed inescapable 
How, Brad? Why, Brad? What happened? And as we zoom out, the answer is Genesis chapter 3 happened. Now, before we draw incorrect conclusions and think, oh, listen, the world is messed up. Like, like man, everything's wrong out there. It was a writer for the Times of London back in the early 1900s. He posed a question in the Times of London, and he posed this to several famous authors. And the question was, what's wrong with the world today? And it was G.K. Chesterton who answered the question. And he answered it with one sentence. Dear sir, I am yours truly, G.K., and as we look at Genesis chapter 3, we must all understand that the issue, what is wrong with the world, is right here in each of us. So God, as we dive into Genesis chapter 3, we ask that you would show up. We ask that you would open our eyes and show us incredible things uh, from your word. Wake us up. By the power of your spirit, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So God created everything was good. Everything was actually perfect and very good. And the man and the woman, they were naked in paradise and they were unashamed. And we pick up in chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. We have a lot of work to do here. And I know if you've been in church your whole life, you're like, I've heard this verse a bajillion times. Yes, but you have to understand, not everyone in here was raised in Sunday school. So we hear this creation account that God creates, and it's good, and it's good, and it's good, it's very good, and it's perfect. And it's like, and the serpent. And listen, any reasonable thinking person who maybe wasn't raised in the church is like, what, who is this? Where did he come from? So what you need to know, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the dragon enters the scene. The dragon comes into the story. Who is he? Who is this serpent that's more crafty? It is Satan, make no mistake about it. We can read about him uh, in the New Testament as well. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 through 9. Just to give you a little bit of, of how we got here to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now, war arose in heaven, and Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, that's, that's New Testament, but we, we can read in the Old Testament as well that gives us an idea of the origins. Like, where did this, where, where, where did this happen? How, how, and where did he come from? So we're going to lay the groundwork. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3 for three Sundays, this, this, this day, and then two more Sundays, okay? So we have to do some work with who we're dealing with here. So, Isaiah Chapter 14, verse 12, gives us more insight on who we're dealing with. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of David. Some translations would say, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. That's the devil. That's the dragon. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 
12 goes on to say, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. Now here's what, here's what Lucifer did. Verse 13, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And this is a problem. So what does God do? We can, we can read over in Ezekiel chapter 28 where in Isaiah we see that Lucifer, Satan says, I will. And then in Ezekiel chapter 28, we, say, we see that God said, no, I did. You did that. Now look at Ezekiel chapter 28. I'll start in the, 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 the last part of verse 12 where it says, You were a signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Talking about Lucifer, talking about this dragon, okay? Here's what it says in verse 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, and diamond, and beryl, and onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. On the day that you were what? Okay, remember that. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. The day you were what? Okay. Till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. Go back to Isaiah. I will, he said. I will. I will. No, he sinned. So, here's what God said. You said I will. Here's what I did. I cast you out as profane thing from the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuary. So I brought fire out from your midst. I, it consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. This is who we are talking about. We're not done. We still have some work to do. So over again in the New Testament, we see Paul. Paul believed, okay, here, here is Satan. Here is the dragon. And, and, and Paul was worried. Here's what he said in 2 Corinthians 11.3. He said, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, Genesis chapter 3, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And there's more. We can read in John chapter 8 about this dragon, the devil. It says this, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Now, Jesus is talking to a bunch of religious dudes here, but you have to understand, Jesus is talking about a real person. Here's what he says. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This 
is who we see in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. So you need to know this about your enemy. He is crafty. And how is he crafty? We're going to see this. He knows more Bible than you and I put together. He's had a long time to read it and know it. And he's good at just twisting God's word. But you need to know this. He was created. God created him. And he can only be in one place at one time. He isn't God. He wanted to be like God. He's not omnipresent. He could be in one place at one time. So we don't have to be afraid. He has likely not been within 100 miles of any of us. Because he can be in one place at one time. Now, does he have a bunch of people or a bunch of, of beings working for him? 100% he does. He led a rebellion against God in heaven. He was kicked out. He brought that rebellion to earth. And he does have enormous power. But here's some good news. While he has enormous power, he has zero authority. He only does what he's allowed to do. But hear me, Hill City. College students, hear me. He is real. He's a real person. And what's going on in our culture, fewer people than ever before believe that Satan is a real person. The saddest part about that is fewer people within the church believe that he's actually a real person. He would have it no other way. Exactly where he wants you if you think that he's just some picture of evil. He's a person. And he hates your guts like more than you could ever imagine someone hating you he hates you and he hates God more than you could ever imagine him hating something or someone he hates you and he hates God but why Brad why does he hate us so much and and let me just paint a picture I think there are two reasons I want to paint for you right let's go back to the creation account God said, let us make man our image, right? Okay, so here we are. We are image bearers, meaning we are created to mirror and reflect the glory of God, all right? What you have to know, in the passage that I read, he is covered with all these beautiful stones, right, and gold. Why? His job was to reflect the light and the glory of God. That was Lucifer's job before he fell. He hates us because we took his job. But it's worse. God's like, this is what they're going to do. They're going to do what you did, and they're going to do even more. They're going to do something you were never able, ever able to do. Go back to what God, the job that God gave us. Be fruitful multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Satan can't do that. We get to do that, and he hates us. 
But why does he hate us so much? Because everywhere you see the image of God, you see the glory of God. Right? So if you go, look, it's Habakkuk chapter 2. Verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. By human, when human beings cover the earth, it is just screaming God's glory here. And more than he's mad at us because we took his job, more than he hates us, he hates God because he wants God's glory. And he will never, ever get it. So what is he going to do? He is going to set out. To see to it that we are ruined. So how does this dragon work? Well, right out of the gate, he said to the woman, did God actually say? And he poses a question. Why does he do that? Because he's going to first create an atmosphere of fog and confusion. Listen, Satan knew exactly what God said. He wasn't asking a question. This question is offering a sneer and a smear at God. This question is an accusation against God and against God's character. Did God actually say? This is not an argument. It's a statement. And what it causes Eve to do and what it still causes you and I to do is to question everything that God ever told us. Did God say like that your body is to be a living sacrifice to him? Because it's your body and your choice that seemed better. Did God say, I mean, we expect you to stay married to the same person till you die. Like, you're not happy. God say that. Okay, listen. Did God say that you should be generous with your money? You've worked for that money. And those, they're not going to handle it as good as you do. Did God say that? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Like, you've got a kingdom. Like, you can see, what about second? That's close to first. Did God actually say? That is an evil, evil question. And you need to pay attention to it. You know people, I know people, they've walked away from the faith, not because of, of a compelling argument, but because of an accusation that caused them, to, caused them to question the most fundamental truth of all truth. And I'll get to that truth in a minute. But you guys have heard, listen, this, this happens, and I'm going to get really practical. 
right? So, so Bill Maher did this, right? He's a famous uh, comedian. He's an atheist. And here's what he says of Christians. He's like, listen, these people, like they believe in a talking serpent. Like, come on. And what happens is, is, is we, now Christians have heard that, or maybe not from, from Bill per se, but from other people. And you start to think, yeah, maybe it's not a real person. Maybe just like a per- personification of something. And like, listen, and now you start to doubt everything in God's word, right? Because you, you, you don't believe in a talking snake. Now listen to me. All over your campuses, all over your workplace are people one way or another, going, you don't believe in a talking snake. And I just want to be really practical. What you need to do as, as, as you're, you're following Jesus, just put your arm around the bill of the world, right? And maybe it's not Bill, but somebody. And you say, listen, it's worse than that. It's actually way worse than that. I go talking donkeys also. <laughs> and it's even worse than that, Bill. Like, I believe a dude was swallowed by a really massive fish and then he got spit up on dry land till, and he lived to tell about it. But it's not even, that's not even the end of it. I, I'm going to get crazier, Bill. I do believe in a talking serpent because I'm going to get super crazy with you. I actually believe that the God of the universe put flesh on and he came down to this earth and he lived a perfect life and he was killed for it, like mutilated, like looked like hamburger. They wrapped him up. They put him in a grave. He was dead for three days, Bill. Didn't even breathe. And three days later, he started to breathe again. And he rose to life, and he's alive, and he's sitting on a throne right now. Talking snakes are easy for me, Bill. Come on. But these questions, they cause us to question God's word. But let's look at the woman's answer. Did God actually say, and the woman said to the serpent, did, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Of course, we know what, we know what one and two said. He didn't say that. He's like, there's a bajillion tree, trees here. Eat all the fruit you want. Just stay away from this one. Eve answers, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. She's right. She should have just put a period at the end of the sentence. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said... You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. That's not what God said. He didn't say they couldn't touch it. He didn't say that. I won't belabor it, but listen, the woman adds to God's word. Here's my point. It's never a good idea to add to God's word. That's not what God said. Let's not add to God's word. But the enemy then's like, okay, I see what she did there. See, I know the Bible. I know what God said. That ain't, that, ain't, that ain't what God said. I got her where I want her. So now I'm going to come in with a lie, a bold-faced lie, verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. A bold-faced lie. Because he is a liar. That's all he can do. That's his character. So as we see this, we must understand, Satan has no real authority. Everything that he offers you, everything that he offers me, it's a bluff. His only play is to lie and accuse so that we begin 
to question the most fundamental truth of all truth. So after he lies, then he comes in with a counterfeit. He offers a counterfeit. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Here we go. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see what he did there? He starts, like, listen, you need to question God's word. And then he comes with a lie and then he goes, what you really want is freedom. What you really are desiring is you need freedom. And we see a counterfeit freedom. Satan promises something that he could not deliver because he is a liar. Listen, God is unreasonable. Like, the reason he doesn't want you to do that is because he's withholding something from you. Don't you get it? You can have true freedom. You can know. And let us not miss this. The temptation here is not to know good and evil. They already knew good. It's all they knew. Don't you get it? Like, like, like here, here they are. They're in the garden. The good is all they've ever experienced. The life they lived was very good. And the garden that they lived in, very good. The fruit that they were able to eat, very good. The marriage that they enjoyed, very good. Good is all that a good God has ever given them. The temptation wasn't to know good. The temptation was to know evil. Sin, always, not sometimes, always gives knowledge that we never wanted. And it always fractures deeper than we could ever imagine. And at the root of all of this is this seed of doubt that was planted by the deceiver and the doubt was they, they doubted the most fundamental truth of all truth, and here it is. God is good. And the deceiver comes in, and he plants seeds of doubt, and start causes, he starts to cause us to question, is he? Is he? He, he might be withholding something from me. Sin starts with doubting the goodness of God. And this enemy is wicked and he hates your guts and he makes poverty look like plenty to us and he makes slavery look like freedom to us and he makes death look like life to us. How does he do it? By planting suspicions in our mind about God and his goodness. Hill City, the battle is in your mind. When we start to doubt the goodness of God, 
what we then will start to believe is that we can do God better than God. That's, that, that's what happened. That, that was the essence of this first sin is that she wanted to be as God. She wanted to self-rule. Our problem isn't cheating. Our problem isn't lying and stealing and murder. It's that we do all of those things because we want to rule our own lives. And we buy the lie that true freedom is independence from a good, good God. So do you know what God said and do you believe it? Do you know what God said and do you believe it? And do you believe that God is good? You know what my life is? Like, listen, I'm honored. I cannot believe that God has me doing this as a job. And I, 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 there's, that's just the honor of my life, okay? But I can just explain. I I study and I pray and I study and I pray. And that's the biggest part of of my job. But another huge part of my life is that that I feel like I'm standing uh, on the edge of a cliff. And I've explained this before, right? And people are running and they're they're like trying to jump off a cliff to their death. And I'm standing here going, no, 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 no. And I'm doing this right here. No, no, no. And I'm doing this right here. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I'm telling you, in this room right now are people that are sprinting to the edge to jump off the edge to imminent death because they're doubting the goodness of God. And I pray and I ask God all the time, please, Lord, just allow me, use me to snatch people from the edge of these decisions that are rooted in false beliefs that you are not good. And if you will just listen to me, it's going to save you years and years and years of heartache. And I don't want you to make a decision in your 20s that you will weep about when you're 44. And I'm telling you this from experience. I don't want you to make decisions in your 30s and 40s that you're going to weep about when you're 60. Hang on to the marriage. I'm begging you. Trust that God is good. He doesn't believe in Jesus. Break up with him. God is good. And I could just go all day, all day. Don't jump off the cliff. God is good. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Don't you see this lie? See what it did? It gave Eve new eyes for this tree. She had seen this tree, who knows, thousands of times? She had been in the midst of this tree every day but the deceiver comes in 
And for whatever reason, now all of a sudden she saw that the tree was good for food. They had all the food they could ever want in the whole garden. And she, she saw that it was a delight to her eyes. They lived in paradise. Everything was a delight to their eyes. She saw that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. God is all wise. They had God. Do you see what the lie did? It like gave her new eyes for this tree. And, 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 and she's looking at it just like we look at it. And, and, and we, listen, God, he, he must be holding something back from me. He's got to be. He's got to be. So she took of the fruit and ate. And we take the fruit and we eat. Because his tactics have not changed. From Genesis 3 to 2023, he's doing the same thing. And you can read about it in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's Genesis 3. That's what happened. And it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So here we are in 1 John chapter 2. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. What is lust of the flesh? It's the desire to do. What is the lust of the eyes? It's the desire to have. And what is the pride of life? The desire to be, to do, to have, and to be. And lives are being wrecked right now in this church because people want to do something outside of God's good plan for their life. Or they want to have something that's outside of God's good plan for their life. Or they want to be something that God never wanted them to be. His tactics are still the same. And sin always gives knowledge that we never wanted. And it fractures deeper than we could ever expect. And there are consequences. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So now they know something that they did not know before. Now they know something that they can never, ever unknow. They went from naked and unashamed to fear and shame. So i got to have you go with me here. Stay with me. Go with me here. Do you remember a time in your life when you were afraid? I mean, really, really scared. Go back to that moment. Maybe it was when you were a kid. Maybe it was last night. But just do you remember being afraid? Listen, it is hard to imagine a worse feeling than being truly afraid. Do you remember it? Okay, stay there. Because now here's what I want you to do. And we won't stay here long because we can go dark pretty quick. Remember a time in your life. Because if there's a feeling that's worse than true fear, it's this. It's shame. Listen, just remember a time in your life when you just felt so ashamed. 
I can't imagine a worse feeling. And that fear and that shame, that's what the dragon wants for you. He hates you. He hates you. That fear, that shame, it's a weight that you and I were never created to carry. And it's all that the dragon has to offer. This is where we see fear for the first time in Scripture, right here. Fear and shame, and always, not sometimes, fear and shame always lead to hiding. And some of you are sitting in this chair out in the open right now, and you're hiding. But I don't, listen, there's something so beautiful I don't want us to miss. Oh my gosh, listen, just perk up, because this is beautiful. There's, (laughs) there's such good news. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Listen. God knew where they were. What we have to see in this verse right here is that our God is a God that pursues. And he seeks to find God is not hiding from you. We hide from God. And God moves toward us. God is never, God is never the holdout in this relationship. And some of you are like, Brad, you don't understand. Like, it seems like God is hiding right now. I'm, I feel like I'm looking and he's not to be found. If I feel like he's hiding. I want you to know if that's you this morning, he isn't hiding. He's got you in a place where he's trying to draw you out and get your face turned toward him. Because you're like, where's God? Where's God? And you're looking. He's not hiding. He's drawing you to himself. That's what he does. Sometimes God pursues me through convicting me. Maybe I'm reading scripture and I'm like, oh, okay, okay. But I'll be convicted. Sometimes, sometimes God will pursue me by just perturbing me. Like, that's just bothering. What, why is she, she's bothering me. And, and, and I got to stop and go, i got to pay attention to God here. And all the married people in the room go, that's what that was. I'm serious. Sometimes God pursues me by having a brother or sister in Christ come and point something out in my life. But all the time that God pursues me, he does it because he loves me. And he loves you. you're serving communion, I'm going to have you head back and get our communion stations ready.
So Genesis chapter 3. It would be so easy for us to look at it and be like, this is, what, this is the problem with the world. Right? Listen to me. God did not, I, don't, I just don't believe God breathed out Genesis chapter 3 so that we could look at it and conclude and know what was wrong with the world. I think he, he, he breathed this out for a deeper purpose. Genesis chapter 3, is, it's not for us to look at and, and, and say, oh, goodness, Eve, how could you have done that? Oh, my goodness, Adam. Genesis chapter 3 is not there for us to look at and, and, and think, oh, my gosh, that, that was a low point in human history. That, that was rough. That is not why it was there. I think God breathed out Genesis chapter 3, and you're here hearing this today, and he's saying this, just let me explain to you through Genesis chapter 3 why at times I feel so unreal to you. Listen, let let me have you experience Genesis chapter 3 so that I can show you why it is that you hide from me still. Let me show you Genesis chapter 3 to show you why we keep trying to be God, why we keep ignoring God. And let me show you Genesis chapter 3 where I can show you how much that I love you in spite of all that. I come after you. God is a God who pursues. So if you feel like God is not near, If you feel like he isn't good, if you feel like you cannot trust him, the best piece of advice I have for you is this. I want you to hear his kind voice saying, where are you? And then run to him as fast as you can. God, would you cause that to happen in this place? I know there are people here hiding. I know that there are people in here who are feeling shame and they're afraid. God, will you show them yourself today? And will you, God, just give them a peace and a freedom to run to you?